not not big on not big on the orange candy in general. Just hmm. like Okay. It probably tastes the closest to the real thing. The most the other ones probably have like the fake Yeah. I want the like fake artificial flavors yeah. to taste really fake like and artificial. Cherry nothing like you cherry. want it yeah. to taste like cough syrup? It doesn't taste like cough syrup. It's better than that. I, like the super artificialness of some of the flavors, though. That's that's what yeah, I tell. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just have learned it over the years. I, the cherry ones, I, I tend to like. And that's where we're going to begin this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Um, I am Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. You're leaving all that in. Uh, we'll use some of it. Okay. We'll use some of it. The deep starburst, hot starburst. Yeah, taste. I'm not. I'm not going to use the full. You got a starburst schism <laughs> over the flavor orange. We'll talk about fruit fracas. <laughs> talk about cheese. Talk about not schisms so much. Uh, so, as questions and philosophies, as the Vikings' way of doing things was tested in their twenty-four-seven loss to Philadelphia. So, we will preview. Uh, we'll keep that in mind while previewing Sunday's game against the Detroit Lions. Talk about the new look Lions, who were one and one, um, losing their opener against Philadelphia and beating the Washington Commanders last week. Big ups to Skittles for uh, getting rid of the green apple and bringing lime back, by the way. I like the lime, but I also didn't mind the green apple either. Green apple I was not a fan of. It's it's good that they realized that they kind of went in this big marketing campaign where they just started apologizing to everybody for taking a lime. Sorry lime about that. Away. Yeah. Sorry about that. Hey, but it's, it's probably a good idea. Like you take something away, you realize how much somebody like it, then you have something to build upon for later. Yeah. yeah. Which we could, probably we could. is not a metaphor for the Vikings. No, we can bring all this full circle. We found out if you take away a lead from the Vikings, the offense doesn't look too great. That's it. it, Thank you. That's what it was. Thank you. It didn't look too great against Philadelphia. And we've heard from Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins just today in saying um, how we're already hearing that maybe they need to establish, hashtag establish the run a little bit more. We didn't hear that directly from those guys, though. They just talked about how difficult it can be when you get behind the eight ball and you are trying to continually pass as Kirk Cousins gets 48-some Passing plays called for him. That that line played big in Northern Kentucky, I'll bet. In Philadelphia, yeah, where Mike Zimmer's hanging out at the ranch. Yeah. Um, well, let's start with just the offense and where it's at right now with Kirk. Kirk obviously played awful, throws three interceptions. It was his worst Monday night start statistically in his 2-10 and 10 career uh, per, uh, record on Monday night. Um, ben, we just heard from Kirk, him just saying that basically we have to prepare for more of the pressures and blitzes that did – kind of hurt them yep. in the second half, especially um, against the Eagles. Uh, just what did you think about what we heard from Kirk on that front and just hit kind of where he's at with this offense? Yeah, I mean, you're certainly, I think, going to see more of those things on Sunday. And it was interesting that the last two picks, I mean, the first one, Cousins and Jefferson both Monday night said, hey, this is probably more Jefferson's fault than Cousins. But the, the last two, it was kind of like, I mean, and I, I've tended to think the Monday Night Kirk narrative gets overcooked. Um, those two throws don't help anyone who thinks that narrative is overcooked. That that those throws, I don't, I don't know that the reason for the throws was, oh my gosh, I finally realized three quarters of this game I'm on a Monday Night stage and I'm rattled. I don't think that was it so much, but. Um, if you're looking for data points to use to support that narrative, those fit right into it because both of those throws I thought were pretty ill-advised. Um, and he said today that he he thought he probably should have checked that one down, the one he threw to Thielen. Yeah, um, and I, I think he, he maybe had Jefferson open for a minute on that. But the third one to me was the one that was like – because he'd had a pass I think right before that where he'd thrown I think the same fade in the end zone and um, – Darius Slay almost came down with that one as well and then basically went right back to the same thing. That almost looked like a fadeaway jumper where he had six guys coming after him. He's trying to kind of fall away from the blitz, throw it up. We saw him do that. We see him do that every once in a while uh, where he knows a hit is coming and and you're trying to protect yourself a little bit and also deliver a pass. And he's generally fairly good at standing in there and taking contact and still delivering when he knows the contact is coming. Generally, it's pretty tough. Uh, I thought that third one was uh, the rush certainly affected him there, and uh, I think it, it probably did on the second one too. 
Yeah, he was blitzed both times on those. Uh, Mike, we just saw him kind of revert back to, as much as we talked about him looking comfortable last yeah. week yeah. in this offense, it looked to the exact opposite this week. He looked like, you know, I think there's a difference a difference in football, a difference like even in everyday life between performing, playing with a sense of urgency, which I think is good. Like it gives you kind of a focus, it gives you a purpose, and I think he had that in the first week. It felt like he was playing rushed in week two, and whether that's, you know, the pass rush, like literal rush, or if it's just like he, whatever nerves there are, whatever the moment is, he just like his actions, his mannerisms, even just you know, just watching on TV looked like he was someone who was not entirely comfortable for whatever reason. And whether again, that's you get hit a few times, whether that's the environment, whether that's you know they they've got your number and they're getting you three and outs, and now all of a sudden you're down and you're you're trying to you know hurry up and get back and I think O'Connell talked about that a little bit like did the play calling get him away get away from them a little bit did they play too much like trying to get back 14 points all at once kind of stuff like that but for whatever reason whatever that kind of smoothness there was in week one that was gone and you're right and that's it that's the hallmark of bad Kirk right there yeah you know when he's looking shaky a little bit and kind of throwing some of those just look like hurried yeah plays where you see you're throwing in the dirt or even the fade as you talked about ben were kind of the jumper where he's leaning backward just kind of chucking it straight up and this interception came because he just didn't even get it far enough over slay slay was yeah. able to come up and grab that and we just saw a guy who looked i, I remarked at the time that it looked a little bit more like the day filippo offense just with more motion yeah you know, basically it was it was very little play action it was yeah. sitting there um, trying to kind of pick apart what the Eagles defense was doing was very similar to what the Vikings defense was doing in terms of sitting back shell coverages and trying to take away the deep stuff to Jefferson. Um, but Kirk was just unable to evade pressure the same way Jalen Hurts could and certainly wasn't as efficient throwing underneath in the same way Jalen was either. And they threw and, a little more man coverage in there too. They at did. least yeah. or, or at, at the, the very, very least, whether it was man or whether it was zone, they they let them play those coverages from a pressed alignment. I think a little bit more often. Darius Slay especially was up in cousin or uh, up in Jefferson's face in the yeah. line of scrimmage a lot more. Especially when it came to those blitzes where they had the yep. it was it was, it was a lot of man blitzes in those cases. And even the screen passes, like Dalvin got asked about that today. It was like Dalvin, what did they do to stop the screens? He's like, they were just playing man, they were standing right there. Like they knew like, yeah. like what yeah. did they do sniffing out? It's like uh they had somebody right there. Like it was just like what whatever it was, the screen game didn't get going either. And it was like yeah, I don't know if it was just something that, you know, if someone's there to cover Dalvin Cook, that's not gonna work. Yeah, and Ben, you were writing about um this kind of testing the Vikings new culture that Kevin O'Connell spent yeah. all summer establishing with his twenty five man coaching staff, uh, and all the players, fifty plus players in this locker room. Um, so what stood out to you from what you heard from players and coaches that we talked to today? just in terms of how they're going to try to respond and the first real adversity under Kevin O'Connell. Yeah, and this, my interest in this, I guess, goes back a little bit to the reporting I did on my profile about O'Connell because, I mean, the culture thing has been talked about probably to the point where it's been overdone. I mean, it, it, it becomes the thing that um, just gets tossed around. Oh, he's he's the guy that wants to hold everybody's hand to tell them how great they are. I mean, you, you see a lot of those takes tossed around in, in various places online, and it almost has kind of become a caricature. But as he said this morning, this is where it gets put to the test. And for him, I think on a personal level, it, it has been put to the test kind of when he has either been injured as a quarterback or saw his own playing career end within – four years of being in the NFL and it was fairly obvious it was going to end probably within a year if we're being honest I mean I, I think he could probably see pretty quickly that the ceiling on this is not going to be very high I'm just not going to be a great NFL quarterback so then you have to kind of figure out what does the rest of my life look like and that thought process he has tended to have of all right I'm going to look at he talked about it this morning looking inward and what can I do to fix it and what can I do to to fix my own um, path here, um, you know, kind of grind through it and get back to work. That theme came out from a lot of the people I talked to this summer for that story, and, and this is really the first time he has a chance to kind of put that to the test here. I mean, the, the Rams last year, in the middle of that season, right around the time where he started to get head coaching interest, they lost three games to, I think it was in this order, the Titans, the 49ers, and then they had a bye, and they lost to the Packers. I mean, so you go a month and you lose to a bunch of teams that two of which you 
could have to play in the NFC playoffs. Another one has been a contender in the AFC. If, if you're sitting there starting to wonder about, boy, maybe we're really not that good with a bye week stretched in there where there's a month straight of that thought process. Yes, yeah, there's a month straight of not only are we not winning, we're losing to teams that would let us think we are pretty good if we beat them. So the, the inverse can happen as well where it's like, boy, we just don't measure up. They'd lost to the 49ers twice going into the NFC Championship game. There, there were enough moments where this idea of, hey, uh, it's all sunshine and rainbows. That's not how this stuff works in the NFL when you start losing. It's, and my cousin said it this morning, that you can have a great building and you start losing and people, attitudes turn. Or you can be on some dysfunctional teams, which he said again this morning, and he said this to me when I sat down with him last month, uh, I've been on some teams that are kind of dysfunctional or I've seen teams that I know given the people that are involved are kind of dysfunctional, but everything's great when you win. So anytime you lose in the NFL, it's when this stuff really gets put to the test. And I think it was interesting, even the decision to not have them back on the practice field today to be like, Hey, we're going to take care of your bodies. We're going to go through jog through. We're going to fix our problems, but we're not going to go treat practice as it's a form of, punishment or we got to go grind harder that's the only solution I don't think you would have been here last year for example off of a Monday night loss and somebody saying ah we don't need to practice at full speed until Thursday that felt different yeah Mike we had heard from Dalvin Cook today too and he had said he's not worried about the player leadership in this locker room because everybody's bought in to what they're doing so that Everybody's still obviously on board with the way the coaches are doing things right now. Um, they're going to still have to see the results, obviously, long term. And defensively, finding a way to um, not allow 300 yards and three touchdowns by halftime will be pretty huge yeah. in, That'd be a good idea. in Detroit. Um, because, Mike, you and I talked on Daily Delivery about how we heard from Patrick Peterson after the game, and he had mentioned that, you know, I feel like we need to play up a little more on some of these guys as opposed to playing so far back in soft zone like they had been playing or have been playing. Yeah, and that was interesting. I mean, you, you will watch that this week, and you don't know exactly what he's talking about there. Is he talking about scheme? Is he talking about, you know, just how they executed? Is he talking about, you know, specific players that missed assignments? Whatever it is. Like, But clearly when you give up that much yardage and that many points in one half, something wasn't working and he's disappointed in it. You know, we, as we talked about, this is a guy who's been a man corner for most of his career now being asked to do something different, maybe something, I don't know if easier is the right word, but, you know, playing as, as a zone corner, you have different responsibilities. You're not, you know, it's kind of sometimes it's even unclear whose fault it was on, on a certain play, whereas in man coverage, it's a little bit more easy to say, yeah, you, that guy ran past you, you, you missed your you missed your guy. But I think the, the bigger point that, that Ben was making was a good one in that, you know, in this case, like whether it's scheme and, you know, they, they go into this, like say they go into this Detroit game and this happens again and they lose again, like that's again, like that's a culture thing. And that's, that's, that's trust in the coaches, trust in the scheme. And, you know, the, the, the takes will keep coming out and it'd be like, you know, people will say, and I think I even tweeted something funny about this on Sunday. It's like, nobody's going to care if you're saying hi to Brian O'Neill in the hallway if you're one and two. Yeah, that's, I mean, that I, I had that conversation with Cousins this summer, he talked about he had this great conversation with Ed Donatel right after he got hired. And I use this anecdote yeah, towards that. the top of the story. But Cousins was the first one to come back and say, if you're losing, the conversations you're having with the defensive coordinator, you can have it. That's not going to help you win games. He said, if you're losing, those conversations aren't a lot of fun. I mean, that was that, that line is back in that story. It's something to that effect of it doesn't matter from having great conversations because if you lose, those conversations don't keep being fun and kind of this uplifting thing that it just doesn't work that way so yes this is where it all, kind of all gets put to the test and it, it specific to what they're doing I think that's where you have to try to keep everybody bought in because a guy like Peterson it's, it's interesting when he came here last year one of the selling points that he talked about was I know that they're going to let me be Patrick Peterson, which that means press corner because he wasn't doing that at the end in Arizona, and I don't think he liked it very much. And And he said, Zimmer's going to let me be me, and we're going to go from there. Now, this summer he has talked about maybe this is a good thing for me at this point in my career because I can be a little bit further back and you don't have to turn and run quite as much. But I think there's a fine line 
of if you're that far off in coverage and you're giving up that much cushion. And if you look at it, they they threw at the other side quite a bit more than they threw at Patrick Peterson. And um, we saw that preference at the end of the Lions game last year when they picked on Cameron Dantzler. And uh, we should we should probably look into that whole thing with Cameron Dantzler. We should get into that a little bit because very, very interesting that they took him out of that game for a while on Monday night. Yeah, we talked about it after on the podcast. Because yeah. um, – gotten Mike's take on it yet but Kevin O'Connell um said they pinned our safety down and put it on Bynum yeah after the game but the one that got benched for whatever reason we didn't ask O'Connell about why he got benched on Sunday night uh because of the multitude of other things to talk about after that game but uh toward the end in the fourth quarter they put in a Caleb Evans the rookie for Cameron Dantzler Dantzler stayed in after that big touchdown he stayed in for a while after that big touchdown Evans played like 21 snaps he didn't get pulled right away but he got pulled eventually. Yep. So, and, and it would have been Dancer Dancer's made. really eventful series with all the breakups and then the illegal contact was after the touchdown. I think it might have been. But either way, the series they, after he had stayed in with some time, and it was yeah, it was after the the illegal contact on third and thirteen. It was after the fifty three yard touchdown to Quez Watkins, um, and I don't remember there being any kind of acute issue for initiating when he did get pulled. But he gets pulled in that game, and it was just so weird because, yeah, you wonder, as you said, Mike, with the zones, you can't totally tell whose responsibility it is based on the alignment of the receivers and the formation um, when they break on their routes of who's supposed to do what. I guess there's a reality where Cameron Dancer could have been responsible for walk-ins going deep. Yeah, there could have been. And, you know, Dancer's an interesting one because it seems like some of the analytics pro football focus seems to like Cameron yeah, Dantzler a lot, do. a lot more than the eye test sometimes does. And I don't know what that is. I mean, these people know more about football than me that that's fine. And I don't think he's a bad corner. I just think he's, he's got some inconsistencies and obviously I don't think you, you know, you don't know if you draft booth that high, if you completely love your options right now, but that said, you know, Patrick Peterson is not going to play forever. So you don't exactly know what they think of Cameron Dantzler other than that. He's probably their best number two corner option right now but to get benched in that situation to not know exactly how that scheme played out and to you know to a certain point at a certain point this season we might the the biggest test might be you know there's a difference between losing faith in the plan versus losing faith in the culture and we're not there it's two games in there they're all going to say the right things but you know like if if they have enough of these moments where we're like i think we should be playing further up or like they're just you know throwing it right in front of us like it'll be interesting to hear post game against the lions win or lose is kind of how players talk about what they were doing and seeing out there well uh, real quick on the dantzler thing um that play to me looked like i mean it, it, the the shell looked like cover six it looked like cover two on patrick peterson's side and it looked like dantzler and uh bynum were playing cover four on that side of things. And and I, I don't know exactly what their coverage rules are, but it was – they both jumped on that that kind of out route from uh, from Dallas Goddard, I think. And those two, Watkins and Goddard, kind of switched. So it seemed like it could have been one of those where um, <clears throat> as you're numbering receivers in terms of who you're responsible for, where the number two guy goes, where the number three guy goes, as you're numbering outside in um, – there could have been some confusion about who's who's number one, who's number two, who am I responsible for in this situation if he goes vertical. Um, that, I assume, is what happened. I mean, you've you've watched it and, and reviewed it as well. But, um, yeah, that that one stuck out. I, I just I think back to that play at the end of the, the Lions game the last time the Vikings saw the Lions was the touchdown that they threw right in front of Dantzler and uh, Xavier Woods. So, being tighter and, and being more on top of things on Sunday is a is a big part of it. Yeah, and O'Connell said after the game that they he called it a, a quarters look that yep. they were that they were in. I do wonder one of the things I want to remark on when you guys were talking about Peterson is that he plays the zones differently um, than than Dantzler does. And Peterson said he knew that play was coming. Yeah, 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 because he kind of throws his hands up as just before the ball is thrown um, deep there. Yep. He threw his hands up, and he was basically jumping up and down like, what are we doing? But Peterson started playing the zones a lot closer like he talked yep. about after the game. Yep. 
in which I guess it could make it either it was a, a situation where he was supposed to be shallower on that play or he just, I believe firmly that he might just play deep quarter that way yeah. when he recognizes yeah. that. I think it was Devonta Smith was the only receiver on his side of the field yeah. and going, well, if he's going to break inward, I'm just going to kind of creep shallower on him. So I, I, it's just interesting to see how, yeah, you've got Peterson kind of adjusting to this and playing it differently in those, in those areas. Um, I'm not totally sure who was responsible for that play, but either way, it was 53 of the 400 and some odd yards that they gave up in that game and seven of the 24 points. Um, this, this Lions team, we can transition in previous Sunday's game here and talk about this Detroit Lions team. Dalvin Cook said today that he said we could start to tell last year they were looking a little different yeah. defensively than the Detroit Lions team we're used to beating up on over the years yeah there's um, all that man coverage they used to play it's it's changed a little bit now I mean, the blitzes are a lot more it used to be pretty predictable yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. terrible austin you guys didn't watch any hard knocks i didn't but i've heard it's i mean everybody's been pretty high on the lions they're like, yeah. i'm a lions fan now like they, they got some buzz from this and they I, what have they scored like 70 points this year so far i mean they yeah. got a lot of points this yeah, year they got a lot of weapons they've been averaging like 35 points a game and allowing 32 points a game so it might be another one where uh, you're, you, it looks like you could take the over. I thought that going into last weekend, and then it was 31 total points. Um, but I, I was cra- it was crazy to see. I read somewhere that because of hard knocks and just all the buzz that was created around there, um, the odds uh, for the Lions winning the Super Bowl started dropping in their favor because teams more money started flushing in on Detroit, which is insane. It's just insane. I don't think we're going to go that far on Detroit. Sure, Vegas is fine with it. Like, yeah. Sure, make your bet. <laughs> Take your money. Take your emotionally charged bet. Go ahead. I, by the way, what was the last time a game that was twenty four seven at halftime finished twenty four seven? Yeah, was, I, I cannot. Like that just seems like a score that is not destined to stay that score. Like the team with seven has got a score in the second half. Week one was almost the same thing. It was. I, I know. Mean, it was. I think twenty seven at halftime and it ended up twenty three to seven. Weird. Two weird games. Yeah. Um, Detroit has played two. I guess kind of weird games. It's been one where they got demolished early against uh, Philadelphia, crawled back into it, and then this last one where they jumped out early against Washington and allowed Washington to crawl back into it. Detroit seems to be that team that's just never going to die. They're not going to go away. If you get up early on them, they're going to find a way to – they're going to bite your kneecap off and find a way to crawl back on. There's that, but when you said they're never going to die, it uh, took me back to the old NFL primetime thing with Wayne Fonts. You can't kill Rasputin. Anybody? I do not remember that. You don't remember no, that? No, I do not remember Because there were so many years where they were about to fire him. The Lions That's back right. then yeah, would go okay, like 9-7 yeah. and seven every right. year and, and get into the playoffs. And I think they usually end up playing the Packers in the first round. But that was every time they'd win a game, you'd just have Chris Berman. They'd like kick a field goal at the end and said, you can't kill Rasputin. He always finds a way to stay alive. That is pretty good. And, you know, and the Vikings talked. Yeah, I think last time the Lions were relevant. I think Cousins talked about it today like, the games last year against the Lions were both last-second finishes. Yeah. I mean, it was the the first one, the home game here, was the you-like-that shoving match on the sideline between Zimmer and Cousins. And then the one in Detroit, obviously, was the Cameron Dantzler game. We talked about unfair maybe to call it the Cameron Dantzler game, but that was the last play of the Lions' comeback where, you know, again, that was probably the beginning of the end for Zimmer. If, if, the, if the first win was the... You know the, the the savior job temporarily. This was the beginning of the end where they had to have that one. You knew they were not going to make the playoffs probably after they lost that game. So weird things have happened, and this is a team that's more competitive now. So that's that's going to be interesting. And Kevin O'Connell is pretty complimentary today, even if he probably has to be. I yeah the the Lions games to me are and maybe it's just because it's been the Lions, but those always feel like the least interesting of the division games that you kind of think about, but. Last year, they got weird, and they've had a number of them that have gotten weird over the years with the Lions as well. And yeah, certainly last year when they gave up that two point conversion at US Bank Stadium, and it looks like they're going to lose this game. Yeah. I know there were people in the building thinking because they were one and three at that point. Yes, they would have gone one and four if yep. they lost that game with a loss at home to the Lions a week after they lost to Kevin Stefanski, the coach that got away at least yes. at that point. And scored seven um, points in that game. And scored seven points. So I know at that point there were people in the building thinking, oh, boy. Is, I, I remember when that two-point conversion, when the when Jared Goff threw that pass for the two-point conversion, I, I, people were thinking, this may be it. We may be firing people tomorrow um, yeah, in the middle of the season. Because they had one game after that than the bye week. And I was like, yep. if they go into the bye one and five after losing that way to the Lions and losing this next one, because I think they did end up losing – 
the next, next one, maybe one to be Carolina. two and four is a tough game, but I, I could be wrong about that. But I think um, they won. I, I think that was they won. It was Carolina. Carolina. Okay, they, they had to come back and win, didn't they? They won because Sam Darnold drove oh, ninety some right. yards down the field to tie it late, and then they had to that's go right. into overtime to win yes. it. I think. think about the quarterbacks that they had that happen against last year: Cooper, like, Cooper Rush, Rush, Sam Darnold, Jared Goff, Ooh, like. Pretty good. Although, don't, don't, pretty, hey, pretty, pretty good quarterback. Although Cooper Rush might be a thing now. Cooper Rush might be a thing, but I don't yeah. know if Cooper Rush was a thing last year. He was year. not. He was a Dak Prescott was a thing. So, yeah. like, don't, yeah. don't have a martyr complex. <laughs> you beat those quarterbacks, yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. Anyway, so this Detroit Lions, speaking of Jared Goff, this Detroit Lions team on offense has a lot of weapons. They added DJ Chark from Jacksonville, the wide receiver. Um, they've got DeAndre Swift, a really good running back out of Georgia. They've got a really good offensive line. They've got Amon Ross St. Brown, a fourth-round pick from last year who just might be the best receiver from uh, the last year's family? draft class or at least the St. Brown family. I mean, the guy had like 184 yards from scrimmage last week, which was insane, including like 70 yards rushing. He had some big 58-yard runs. I think his breakout was against the Vikings last um, year. Was it? Well, he caught the pass at the end. He caught That's the right. winner. That's right. So, and he has now set the NFL record for eight straight games dating back to last year with at least eight catches. So he's going to get the ball. Um, and they're, they're throwing the ball, and they're not afraid to do that. But DeAndre Swift leads a rushing attack that they also lean on quite a bit because you know Dan Campbell is going to run the ball. Um, DeAndre Swift's also dealing with an ankle injury that limited him to seven touches last week. So if that's a factor against the Vikings – they caught him at a good time. Um, is this a good test? Or not a good test, I shouldn't say that. Mike, is this a good time to face Detroit, considering what that offense looks like now? Or is Detroit not a team you want to necessarily face anymore, given given kind of they look like a tougher team to beat than your typical Detroit Lions? Team? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's probably you're going to play them at some point anyway. But I feel like um, I think Ben and I talked last week about how it felt like that Philadelphia game was one where the Vikings had more to gain than they did lose, right? If they win that game and go 2-0 and against the Packers and Eagles, especially playing at Philly on Monday night, you're like, wow, like this is a team that could be a contender. And they lose, and they're like, okay, now they're 1-1. They probably got through that first stretch feeling pretty okay about themselves. Like if you just said, you're going to go 1-1 against Green Bay and Philly, like fine. This one feels like the complete opposite. This one feels like there is much more to lose than there is to gain. Even though the Lions are better, you're supposed to beat the Lions. You're supposed to beat the Lions, particularly at U.S. Bank Stadium. If you lose this game, you are not supposed to lose this game. And all of a sudden now you're one and two. Getting on a plane. You're getting on a plane to go to London. You got to play the Saints who are, you know, eh, okay. But then you got the Bears. Like you, you got to... You want to take advantage of this three-game stretch, I would think, and you know, if and you divide that Dolphins your, game looks yeah, tough like now you divide too. this season into segments, and you're like, okay, here's the hard parts, here's the easy parts. Like this is one where you're like, you got to come out of this stretch at least three and two, and if you lose this one, then you got some some pressure and some questions. So I, I don't know if it's a good or bad time to play Detroit, but I think Detroit's better than they have been, and it's it's dangerous to to think about what could happen in and this we game. We have seen dangerous week three games before a week four trip to london before hello cleveland browns in 2013 oh yeah when they lost that one right after the browns had traded trent richardson and got beat they got beat by brian hoyer i think that the browns had like a 40 yard run on a fake punt and they had to go to london (laughs) yeah they won they beat the steelers in london to kind of provide a temporary stay of execution for leslie fraser who got to the podium after the game and went thank you london (laughs) (laughs) i love leslie so Yes. I remember Josh Gordon just carving up the Vikings yeah. in the Metrodome uh, and Christian Ponder and, and Norv Turner just struggling tremendously in that game. That was the game where Ponder got his – he broke his rib and it was – they were worried about him being able to fly to London because his rib fracture was too close to his heart. So they were worried that they couldn't put him on a plane in case there was some – Medical emergency. That couldn't have been Norv, could it? Norv came with Zimmer in 14, didn't uh, he? Correct. Norv, oh, sorry, Norv was, was the Browns. Oh, it was Musgrave. Bill Musgrave. Norv was, Norv Norv was, was oh, the Norv Browns was offensive there. coordinator. My bad. That's Norv right. was there. He was the head He was calling plays for Chud. He was the one oh, who was having God. Josh Gordon. I, I did not remember that. I'm sorry. I forgot about Gary that. Barnage had a big day. Oh, um, oh, this is weird. Jordan, down the road. Jordan, Jordan Cameron was the tight end yep. for the Browns at the time. I oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, you're right. Yeah, he had a great. That was when Peyton Hillis was a thing, I think, for the Browns. Harrison Smith got beat for the game winner. If I recall, I think I forgot most of that season. I like have a pretty good catalog of Vikings history. I've forgotten most that of the 2013 season. That was a weird season. year because then right after the bye, 
they were going to – boy, we are down the rabbit hole here. Fine. They were going <laughs> to sign Antoine Winfield, bring him out of retirement right. for the London yeah. game. They decided not to do it. They took the money instead and signed Josh Freeman. The Josh Freeman game. The Josh Freeman game. Nine football. years ago. And Mark and Marcus Sherrill scores the only points, and yeah. they were fetching footballs out of the the Metro Met, or MetLife Stadium. <laughs> yes. Watch that Stands. game. I watched that Stands. game with friends at uh, the bar in Northeast. That's no longer there anymore. And then I wrote an oral history about being there one year later because it was such a <laughs> surreal experience. That was, man, oh man, that game was <laughs> the oral history of the Josh Freeman. That game, game. deserves an oral it's, history. It was it was one of the favorite things I've ever written, but it was so self indulgent and obtuse that uh, I'm sure like seven people read it. The people that were there. Wow. Wow. All right. Um, let's answer some questions, Mike. I know you got to go, but we'll get uh, at least a question or two. In. We got yeah, Josh I'll answer, I'll answer one game. question. We got Starburst. We are, we haven't yeah. derailed. The, I mean, it, these are like purposeful Well, we're back derails, in person. No, we're back in person. We like, all three uh, of us, like you guys have taken side trips that much. No, all right, Mike, right. Josh wants to know, am I correct to assume this may get worse before it gets better? And am I right to sort of feel okay with that because everything is new? Josh has oh. been a Vikings fan for a minute, I take it? You know, I'm Mr. 7 and 10. I've waffled like four times already this year, but I was the, I was the guy who was negative, more negative going into the year. And I think it could get worse. Like, I, you know, and I actually don't think that would necessarily be a bad thing because I think, I think the worst thing for this year's team would be eight and nine or nine and eight, like more of the same that convinces them that they don't necessarily have to blow it up. I think you either want to know that you're on the right track and Kirk Cousins can win 10 or 11 games with Kevin O'Connell, or you want to know that this just isn't working and you need to start over at quarterback and a lot of other places. So I, I want one pole or the other. I don't want this kind of middle ground that they've been stuck in. So I do think it could get worse. I still think it could, you know, based on how good they played against Green Bay, it could be a pretty good year still too. But I don't think he's wrong in saying that. One pole or the other, so you want poles. One pole. Yeah, okay. just a pole. Okay. I, I was. It was a reference to the other GM. Yeah, to Ryan Poles. <laughs> I don't want Ryan They Poles. thought about hiring. <laughs> no. No. Uh, ben, is, is he sort of okay? Is, is he right to feel okay with that? Yes. He, they have uh, – 219 million reasons why he is right next year, and that is the total cap liabilities they have for 2023. Mike is uh, is uh, retching as he walks out the door. <laughs> uh, 31 million of those, of course, actually no, it's more than that. 36 million of those are uh, tied to Kirk Cousins, of course. Only three million dollars of dead money next year, as opposed to 25 million this year. Good. Grief! I forgot that figure was that high. Um, yeah, they've got two hundred nineteen million dollars tied into the cap next year already. So, uh, Cousins obviously a big part of that. Daniel uh, Hunter's thirteen one, uh, Dalvin Cook fourteen one, Adam Thielen nineteen nine, uh, Harrison Smith nineteen two. So if if you were at the point where you said this isn't working, we need to do the hard reboot. Uh, which is hard to do when you have guys on like four-year contracts, which I think is what it is. Um, you know, you have to have ownership buying into that this could take a while. But if you did get to a point where you said we can't win with this as currently constituted, the logical conclusion is to do what they considered doing this spring but ultimately decided not to do, and that is blow it all up because they 100% considered doing that. Uh, like they – they trust me. They 100% looked at the possibility. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, yeah, we I know. Can't report, but they no, but 100% know, looked at. No, but we know that because I mean, we you've already reported. We've reported on. There's more. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but sure, but it's obvious when you know, we reported on you know um, uh, trade speculation around Kirk Cousins, yeah. them taking the short deal with Kirk, um, Daniel Hunter getting shopped, Adam Thielen, like. You know, there's stuff that's that's already out there that's pretty obvious. And, you know, and Kwesi admitted to it when, you know, we asked him at the podium and he said, you know, the, sometimes the best answer is just to do nothing, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, after looking around. And that's eventually what they did. Um, well, that kind of goes into this question that Joel has. Joel Stegman wants to know, how much success do you think the team believes it can have this season? Do you think they view themselves as Super Bowl contenders? Yeah, that's a really interesting – that's a very perceptive question because, I I mean, Joel – we've talked about Joel. Joel's a good friend of mine and, and uh, knows of what he speaks. He's he's worked in in um, the NDSU football program before, so he, he knows, uh, knows the game, knows how it works. Do they think they're that good? I – I think they, well, how would I put this? 
If the answer to that question turned out to be no, I don't know that anybody would be that surprised or that disappointed for the reasons that we're kind of talking about. I, I think there's a little bit of let's let's test the theory that we can win with this group because it is easier to keep everybody in place, change the coaching staff. It's cheaper, it's quicker. Say, hey, all we needed to do was change the coaching staff. We can keep the same guys. We don't need to blow this whole thing up, and we can still be competitive. Um, it, it's easier for that to work than to say, no, this doesn't work, and we've got to tear it all apart. I'm not sure that they 100% believe it can work. It's just it doesn't take you that long to try it for a year and say, okay, well, we'll – Test the theory because, you know, if if it works, then that saves us the time. But if it doesn't, then you can go to ownership and say, all right, guys, we tried it. It didn't work. Now we really need to blow this up and start over and build this thing the way we want to do it. So if you trust us, you have to go let us do that. I don't know. And it, we're a long ways from this. Um but I don't know that the front office would see that as the worst thing in the world because kind of what Mike talked about, it pushes you out of this middle ground. It, you at least say we are going somewhere or we're not, and we know that, and knowing it is half the battle. So I, I do they think they can win? I think they think they can be competitive. I There may be different opinions on that in different corners of the building. Um I don't think they would see it as the worst thing in the world to have some certainty about this, even if the answer is no, you cannot be competitive. Yeah, they're certainly going to find out uh, with the way that they've constructed this roster and keeping it together uh, and pressing forward with a very, very similar-looking roster to the one Mike Zimmer lost with over the last couple of seasons specifically. Um, All right, let's go on to a question uh, that I found interesting about uh, Russell asks Garrett Bradbury was a big concern going into this season at center through two games. How well has he performed? I found this interesting question because after rewatching the Vikings offense this morning uh, in Philadelphia, um, I thought of all people on that interior line that Ezra Cleveland had the worst game. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he got beat a lot, especially in the second half. Uh, it doesn't get remembered because there was an interception, but he gets called for a holding on an interception. That, And frankly, if he had not held and just like Cousins get obliterated, that ball might not make it to the pick. Right. He held to the point where Cousins had the time, that extra second, to lob a very poorly decided ball. I think it was the Avante Maddox interception yeah. uh, targeted at yeah. Thielen that Ezra Cleveland got called for holding. Which came off of a blitz, right? Um, yeah. Based on yeah, five on that. I believe so. I think it was a defensive lineman that he was holding. But either way, it was just it was, it was pressure and... Uh, it was Ezra Cleveland not doing well, like he didn't do all night. And the good thing for Garrett Bradbury is that he's got Ed Ingram seems to be doing fairly well uh, on the other side, which Garrett hasn't had. So if Ezra can put together games like he did against Green Bay, where he did play well and have less of this inconsistency, that will help him. Independently, Ben, we haven't seen individually, I should say, with Garrett, we haven't seen him get blown up, I guess, too yeah. much so far, which which is a welcomed surprise for the Vikings. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I haven't noticed him as much in the way that we often have in the past. And, and when it's Kenny Clark week one, Fletcher Cox week two, like you're probably going to notice him if he's if he's that bad. I mean, he, he's had a couple plays, I think, where he, he got beat. But, yeah, not, not the huge liability, or at least – you know, it's in such a major, obvious fashion that we've seen in the past. So I guess that's probably an improvement. Yeah, that's that's certainly good news for the Vikings. And the way they've been setting up their protections, it looks, at least to, to my layman's eyes, that they've been um, isolating those tackles quite a bit, as you yeah. would expect, and letting those three interior linemen work on two defensive interior defensive tackles together. But even that, the fact that they can do that, I think is yeah. is an important thing to note because if you're able to kind of set Christian Derrissaw out there on an island and say, go do your thing, we're not going to send a lot of help your way, and you you obviously know you can do it with Brian O'Neill, that helps a ton 
because then you don't have to try to fight a war on two fronts, so to speak. You can say, we, we know our tackles are fine. Let's, if we have to hit, provide help somewhere, let's do it with the guards in the center. I'm really curious to see how Kevin O'Connell adjusts when facing extra rushers and blitzes like he did against Philadelphia in the second half because Detroit has been blitzing a lot, and they only the Cardinals have blitzed more through two weeks. Um, Detroit's averaging 20 blitzes a game. Yeah. and Did it a you, lot to Hurts. Yeah, and they did it a lot to Carson Wentz, too, last week. So they can generate pressure with four. Aiden Hutchinson, the number one overall pick, at three sacks last week, and that was all in the first half. Um, so they've got some decent pass rush, but they also love to blitz. They love to be aggressive. And so I do wonder how O'Connell's going to adjust, because O'Connell admitted when he's asked about it that I put Kirk in bad spots. Yeah, last week. And some of those bad spots, I would assume, would have been times that Kirk was caught in an empty set um, facing, like a, facing a blitz. Yeah. yeah, while facing a blitz, though. And that happened three straight times, I believe, on those goal-to-go situations after the Jordan Hicks interception. Yeah. They get set up on the Eagles' nine. Three straight times Kirk faces uh, a blitz. And I think at least two of those three times, it was an empty backfield. Yeah. And he just the, – the final one, he lobbed up into the fade that got picked yep. by Darius Slay. So, and that's also when you're way behind, and the opponent can say, "We can go after this guy. We don't need. We can pin our ears back and just go." And and that's just it too. Yeah, the the, the confidence of a 17 point lead and being able to lean on that. And and I just wonder that if they get into a hole in this Detroit game, it's going to be some of the same stuff. Yep. And does O'Connell continue to sit there and say, "No, Kirk, you're going to have to beat a free runner at you." You know, in the three seconds it takes for him to get to, you're going to have to find the open guy. Or will he call in more guys to protect and adjust? Because he admitted they were tough spots for Kirk. Yep, yep. And I think you saw some moments last week where they, earlier in the game, and they, they had Dalvin Cook, like, kind of off on the wing at one point, almost doing like a, a, a wham block. Um, you know, almost yeah, kind of in that yeah, Cooper Cup type right. spot where sure. he'd come oh, in. Yeah. And, and it was a, in pass protection more than on a running play, obviously. But... Um, you know, so they did some things like that, but I think Cook also got blown up a couple times when they tried it too. So maybe they figure, let's just try to empty it out and and make people adjust to that too. But yeah, you're right. It it put him in spots where he has to make things happen pretty quickly. And if there's a free runner and he's the type that wants to see that there's somebody certifiably open. All right, I want to get your thoughts on this, Ben. Lee wants to know. We've seen Kevin O'Connell and Jefferson take blame for how parts of the game went, but why not Kirk Cousins? He seems to always use the word we instead of taking accountability for his play. And I will correct the record. At least we do hear Kirk say the platitudes of, I got to check the tape, see where I can improve, all that kind of stuff. So it's not like he doesn't say, you know, the the part that, you know, you feel like you got to say. Yeah, yeah. And it's always, yeah. It. I mean, O'Connell says it. And I think there is certainly purpose behind that of I'm trying to send the message to players that I'm not putting this on you and saying I'm not responsible for it. I don't want to cast myself as the only one who's not at fault. Perhaps uh, trying to counter what they may have experienced before. I I think there's some strategic thinking in that. Um, So any of this stuff that you hear people say is probably calibrated to have a certain message one way or the other. I I don't know that you're ever getting completely honest, unfiltered, unvarnished stuff from people at press conferences. It certainly is being, um, I mean, there, there's an element of, of messaging that's being calculated into this stuff. As for Cousins, I, I talked to them about this a little bit before the season in the sense of, you know, the press conferences, I, I think he has certainly gone into the mode of I don't want to say very much that's going to create headlines at press conferences and I think he talked about I don't want to give anything away to our opponents but he's also had enough moments I think in the last couple of years that have led him to that conclusion of just I'm going to just go up and and kind of say as little as possible um, because I just I don't stand to benefit that much from it um, you know, maybe him saying, hey, I put this one on me in the manner that you want to hear it would make a difference. I, I I tend not to think that 
it's terribly revelatory of anybody's real thinking, whether they say the thing that you want to hear or not. It may just be that they're saying the thing that you want to hear because they know it's the thing you want to hear and they know that there's a strategic reason for them to say it or they're just not that worried about that. So um, I, to the degree that we think we're getting any measure of like this is straight from the heart at these things, I don't think we see that very often. No, no, it, it, yeah, this is tough because yeah, Kirk's, Kirk's, um, authenticity leadership has been a talking point for now five straight years here, considering what he makes and, uh, sometimes the deferentialness with which he leads, I guess. Yeah. He, well, and to that point, I mean, it was interesting when I sat down with him before the season, he talked about this kind of approach he has to playing quarterback this the pessimistic approach he talked about that with Kevin Stefanski it's is saying asking coaches what do you want me to do if it's this you know it's great if we get this look but if they do this what should what, what should I do if it's this what should I do there are a lot of quarterbacks that would say I'm a quarterback I don't need to ask the head coach how he wants the position played but Cousins does tend to take that deferential approach of well I'm not the coach I have to do it the way they want me to do it I'm I'm kind of an agent for them on the field. Um, I I don't know that you'd hear Aaron Rodgers, for example, go about it that way. I think it'd be quite the opposite, in fact. So, um, yeah, there is a little bit of deference from Cousins about how he plays a position, and and maybe that doesn't fit into the the metric of leadership to the same degree that people would expect from that position. Yeah, and and I I don't think that from anything we've heard on or off the record from players on background, whatever, like him not taking enough responsibility. Um, I don't think that's been at least too much of an issue from what I've heard. Um, so I, I don't know. I think people, I think he comes off a certain way though in press conferences. And I think, I think when you watch him, you know, you can think it's easy to think a certain way about, just the roboticness or kind of how he thinks or, or the mannerisms with which he, you know, the rhetoric and, and all that stuff, just all that combined is his stage presence, I guess I'm saying. Um, but I mean, everybody has that. Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah. and kind of what we're saying is that he is doing that for certain reasons. Um, Kevin O'Connell speaks at press conferences a certain way for certain reasons. Mike Zimmer would speak at press conferences a certain way for certain reasons. And some of those reasons sometimes we're just, I don't want to be doing this and, my irritation with all of the people in this room supersedes uh, the people that are listening to it beyond this room, um, including my bosses. But everybody's got a different way of going about that, and everybody is getting prepped on how they go about that. So um, I, I would compare it somewhat to politicians, I guess, is is probably what I would say in terms of discussion of messaging, discussion of how you're going about it you should be thinking about these things more along those lines because there is certainly discussion prep work, especially for the the guys like the quarterback, the coach, the GM, all that stuff happens ahead of time. Our colleague, Mark Craig told Kirk that you, after his press conference, you would have been a good politician because of the way he answered the Gophers, Michigan state yes. question. Yes. Uh, Cause obviously the alum, the Spartan alum, Kirk cousins from Michigan state, uh, says he answers that question by saying, "Well, the Gophers are my favorite Big Ten West team." Yes, <laughs> yes. And I I would like the Gophers and the Spartans to play in the Big Ten title game. Now, who would he be cheering for in that situation? Um, I don't. I think it would probably still be it's obvious. alma mater. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty obvious. It'd probably still to. be go green, go white. But um, you know, that's uh, everybody's going to ride with their alma mater. Row the boat. Exactly. All right. Let's end with this question. Mister Heavy Hustle wants to know what's up with Lewis Seen. He's definitely more talented in the long-term safety plan. Why wasn't he used in the Philadelphia game? Or is he still not fully healthy slash ready yet? Um, Lewis Seen is considered fully healthy and ready by the uh, team because he was out there playing, played full roles on, on all four special teams phases. But it was Josh Metellus who replaced Harrison Smith. We should note Harrison Smith is in the concussion protocol. He has to clear that to be ready to play on a short week on just six days on Sunday. So there's a chance the Vikings don't have Harrison Smith in this game. They decided to play Josh Metellus in relief in Philadelphia. Now, one would presume that they would do that again if that was their plan in Philadelphia for the backup job. But if they feel like they have a whole week to prepare scene to start scene who says that he doesn't know if he's starting or not. Um, 
if if they have that whole week to prepare him to start, uh, maybe they feel like that is enough to get him ready. But it is curious that they've kind of kept him in the in the background. Now he obviously missed the opener because yep. of the knee injury that he had had in the preseason. But um, they basically said in your first game, you're not ready to jump in on defense quite yet. Yeah, I my hunch would be that Metellus would get the start. Um, if Harrison Smith is not able to go, but that doesn't mean they won't have things for Lewisine to do. Uh, it just it seems like the way they've used him so far and the way it's kind of gone in the preseason, my hunch would be that Metellus is probably ahead of scene in the coach's eyes at this point, at least in terms of being ready to kind of handle all of what would go into it. So why is that? I mean, we, you know, we'll be talking to Donatel tomorrow, and there'll be a lot of questions about the Vikings secondary. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think that's probably going to come up. So that'll be that'll be among the questions we have for Ed Donatel tomorrow when he speaks. But I guess I'm curious why. And one of the questions I'll have for him is why Lewis Seen uh, wasn't the one put into that game and and where he's at in his development. Because you know we've heard good things from teammates um, and coaches up to this point, but they clearly feel like he's not ready to be put out there yet. And it, it doesn't seem to be for a physical reason. Yeah. I would expect it's picking up everything that you need to know in the defense in terms of, um, checks, assignments, how different coverages play in terms of who you're responsible for. I mean, we saw it with Cam Bynum on Monday night, that play comes down to some level of confusion. You know, how much of it was Bynum, how much of it was Dantzler. We don't know. And we talked about that a little bit. Um, but there is some, I think, on one way or the other. Coverage busts happen because it's the, I thought you had this guy. No, I thought you had this guy. I mean, it's, it's when you see that happen, it's the same thing as a fly ball falling between a shortstop and an outfielder. I thought you had it. No, I thought you had it. And turns out nobody had it. So if that is already something you're worried about with a younger player, like a second-year safety in Cam Bynum, adding a rookie to it in his first NFL game, Maybe and I, you know, Josh Metellus is not that much older. He hasn't exactly started, you know, six or seven years in the NFL or anything like that. But they may feel like there's a little bit more margin there if it's not Harrison Smith. I I think this would be probably a different story. Maybe I, I think there's certainly reason to believe you'd be more comfortable if it's Cam Bynum out and you're putting Lewis Seen instead of him alongside Harrison Smith, as opposed to the opposite, where that thing of the veteran back there to kind of keep everybody calm and communicate the checks and make sure everything's lined up the way it's supposed to be. If you don't have him, I think that creates a little less of a margin for error to put a rookie in there in his first game. Yeah. We'll have to see what they end up doing. If Harrison Smith does clear the protocol by then or not, um, they'll have to declare their intentions as they talk about uh, defenses by then at, at at, uh, by this weekend, I should say, before they take on the Detroit Lions at U.S. Bank Stadium. So that is where we will talk to you next from uh, to recap the Lions game. Until then, please check out StarTribune.com. Yeah, do what my, my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less, so I'll say less. <laughs>